Thanks for downloading this podcast from the University of Portsmouth. Our interviews bring you world-changing ideas and ask the big questions, looking at research taking place right here in Portsmouth. I'm John Worsey. I caught up with Claire Nee, a professor of criminological psychology. She specialises in looking at the offender's perspective on the crimes they undertake. And she looks at the expertly honed automatic processes that we all have, making crime second nature for offenders. Probably about 60% of what we do is automatic in our daily lives. doesn't mean we're not responsible for it, but we've just got cognitive shortcuts that help us get Mm. through the day. We Mm. found this automaticity in the expertise of offenders. This time, we'll hear more about how Claire and her team use their understanding of the mindset of criminals to advise the public and businesses in protecting themselves in outsmarting crime. Both outside and inside the home, we leave so many opportunities. Now, I'm not saying it's the householder's fault, because it's the way we live our lives, but I think there's a huge gap and that we could we could get people to appraise their environments a little bit better mm. without making life inconvenient. Mm. Like many of us, Claire has always been fascinated by criminals and specifically by why they do what they do. I'm interested in how offenders appraise the environment um, and select targets mm-hmm. in order to carry out a, a crime. So that could be, my main focus is, is burglars because I did my PhD on that about 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was looking, people were very interested in how burglars scoped the environment and, and selected houses to burglar or flats or whatever the property is going to be. I guess what we're more interested in now is um, how they undertake the entire burglary and how they navigate around the house as well once they've got in. I've always been interested in the offender's perspective on what they do, which mm-hmm. is interestingly very, it's ignored a lot yeah. in both forensic psychology, a little less so in criminology. Um, and I think it's a kind of a punitive thing, like we don't want to know your views. But why would you want to understand the motivations of a criminal if you're a law-abiding citizen? Claire explained her fascination with the mindset of a lawbreaker. I'm more interested in actually how they enact the crime and the hours and days building up to the crime and then the aftermath as well, which hasn't really been looked at at all. People have looked a lot at how they pick a house, for instance, burglars. Um, But I'm also interested in in the early decisions about, Mm -hmm. right, I'm running out of money, I will be running out of money in a couple of days, so I'll contact so-and-so and and we'll go out and and do this. Yeah. They do seem to display a kind of expertise when they're doing the offence, right? People very, very rarely get caught at the scene of the crime, but householders cannot perceive risk the same way that offenders do, and I'm wondering all over the place um, now. They have different different perceptions. Yeah, different perceptions. They have different automatic scripts about how they live their lives. Claire sees criminals as experts in what they do. She and her team have done lots of research into how criminals build this knowledge and the skill sets to do what they do. She's also explored their backgrounds and patterns of behaviour. When you look at the lives that most, the upbringings most offenders have had, even from when they're conceived in the womb, say with a a mum who's misusing drugs or 
um, is not eating properly yeah. um, and is setting up their brains for things like ADHD yeah. and kind of a propensity to take drugs themselves. Yeah. Then they're born into an environment where there are no boundaries because yeah. the mum might be very young. There's lots of caretakers coming and going. She hasn't got many skills. She's yeah. got no money. You know, there's so many risk factors that just compound, compound, compound. Even things like traumatic brain injury. I had no idea until a colleague in Exeter pointed out to me how much traumatic brain injury there is in young offenders because they're born with quite impulsive brains so they're going to be falling over a bit more they're more prone to things like adhd they're more prone to take drugs they're more prone to be in an environment where people are hitting them and taking drugs and beating them up this guy got into it because he was an expert in traumatic Mm. brain injury he just happened to be giving a talk in prison and this guy said i've got this funny bit in my skull here and when I press it I see stars and he had like an open bit of skull and the guy was thinking Jesus and he started looking into it and it's like when you have he was used to work with rugby players when you have that traumatic brain injury it shears all the neurons right up the impulsive pathways that the bits that deal with stopping you being impulsive and so it just makes you even more impulsive mm. you know so that the, the odds are very much against people mm. and I know it's very little and a lot of people don't agree with me but I just sort of think I, I find it fascinating that people commit crimes you know yeah. um, I think everyone during their adolescence pushes the boundaries yeah if you come from a caring supportive environment you'll move away from that but if it's the absolute norm then yeah. why would you exactly if it's that whole like, really moral framework strong and... person wouldn't you to say my family are bad and mm. I'm not doing this you know there are kids who do that Mm. certainly you know in any family where there's one or two offenders there Mm. might be other kids who go straight and it must be very tough for them you Mm. know if a person's upbringing can make all the difference in building impulsive pathways as a result of trauma can it also make some people more prone to risk and crime claire described how once crimes become a regular part of life criminals build up an automatic skill set that becomes second nature, a little like learning to drive. When you get into a car, you don't have to think, I now need to push the pedals and look around. It pops out instantaneously from your long-term memory. So most of the time when we're perceiving and chatting now, we're using our working memory. It's like a sort of computer processing space, Mm -hmm. yeah? And we're just remembering things like, oh, I need to tell her that, and I need to do that, and this is how I do this kind of thing. And that's... So it's like a nice sort of space where you're processing stuff Mm. all the time. So when you become an expert, that's all lovely and free. When the burglar was saying, I can do it on automatic pilot, but I can listen out for noises, just doing it, they don't have to think about it, it just pops out. There's a good, I do it now because I've interviewed hundreds of burglars. I just, all the time I'm appraising the environment and thinking I'd get in there or, you know, or that looks really dangerous for that person because it's very vulnerable or whatever. They don't even have to think about it and they go about doing the burglary, but their working memory is free mm. to listen out for little noises and things like that. Mm. So, um, and we've got some really gorgeous like um, quotes from burglars that just signify that beautifully. So when we were writing, I, I wrote uh, a few years ago, I wrote a theory of what I call dysfunctional expertise because people don't like you saying that, that offenders yeah. are, are experts. But it fits in, you know, it maps perfectly onto the expertise literature. Yeah. Um, things like automaticity, that they can do things quicker, more efficiently, better, etc. Yeah. So a really good example for us to relate to is when you learn to drive. You know, when you learn to drive, you're thinking, I've 
I've got to move this gear stick. I've got yeah. to look out the window and perceive everything. I've got to turn the wheel. I've got to do yeah. the pedals. And it seems like an enormous, impossible task, doesn't it? But over about six months to a year, it suddenly just becomes you, what, what we call you build up a cognitive schema. And all that yeah. is, is I like to think it's kind of like a bunch of recipes in your memory about how yeah. to do something. Okay. And what the people who've done loads of experimental research have found is that, say, for instance, chess players can have hundreds of thousands of possible configurations of the yeah. chessboard in their head at one time. So it's not that you get more and more of these schemas, it's that they get richer and richer. Probably about 60% of what we do is automatic in our daily lives. Yeah. doesn't mean we're not responsible for it, but we've just got cognitive shortcuts that help us mm. get through the day. Um, now, that's really, we found this, we mm. found this automaticity in the expertise of offenders. There's no doubt that people live very chaotic lives, but they demonstrate this expertise because they've learned, you know, it's repeated practice yes. over and over and over again about how to do, for instance, a burglary. Um, but even if they're wanting to give up crime, you know, um, we've got to acknowledge that a lot of their processing is automatic, like mm. it is for anyone who's experienced at doing anything. Yeah. You know? I can remember my dentist drilling my tooth and making a golf appointment on the phone at the same time. And yeah. i concentrate, you know. But actually, he was well able to do the drilling and yeah. because his working memory was all free because he knows how to do that automatically. Terrifying stuff. So a lot of what criminals do is repetitive behaviour that becomes unconscious over time. And importantly, Claire says that we can use this knowledge of automatic patterns to preempt criminal behaviour. She's using virtual reality to really bring this to life. So first of all, we can learn from offenders mm. using virtual environments much because we can get them to reenact a crime, like use which a thief, is like catch a thief kind of yes, idea. Yeah. yeah, and we're the first people in the world to actually get offenders to under reenact crimes. Mm. Actually, getting them to reenact it using the virtual environment makes them disclose so much more um, mm. because they're actually doing it. So they're the schemas are popping out of their long-term memory while they're doing it. They're yeah. not hindered by trying to remember what happened and recreate, reinstate mm. a context that happened years ago. So we can learn from them. They correct us all the time. They're saying, well, this isn't very good. This is what I do. You need to get this right for the next yeah. one, say about doors or windows or a rear entrance or mm. things like that. Um, we learned an enormous amount uh, about how they scope the environment from our first virtual burglary. Mm. Um, and we learned things that we didn't know before. Like we knew they avoided small children's bedrooms, but we mm. thought that was because there's not much in there. What we discovered was they're going, oh, that's a children's bedroom, not going in there, yeah. baby. You know, it's sort of like a, a weird yeah. moral code. It's okay to do a teenager or an adult, but nobody yeah. else. Um, we learned enormous amounts about where they go to immediately, how they go to the high value areas. So we learned about how to coach people where not to put their stuff, which we've done with Churchill Insurance. Using this kind of information via virtual reality can help advise people and businesses on the best way to avoid being burgled. She also tries to enable people to get into the mindset of the burglar and to understand the reality of who the burglar might actually be. We did a big publicity campaign coming up to Christmas because that's a prime time for burglars, yeah. and of course, really, really upsetting for people. And we also did stuff about how to try and help victims not feel so afraid by actually thinking about what the offender would really be like, actually probably 
a very disadvantaged, uh, mm. probably 19 or 20 year old with a drug habit who's more scared of you than you are of them. Yeah. So we can educate people about making their environment safer, about understanding what's happened when there has been a burglary. Which helps them then, um, would that then help them to recover from that event yeah, and yeah. hopefully not be in that one in 10 people that exactly. need to Exactly, there's move. about 25% I think who really yeah. suffer quite bad PTSD and things like that. Um, and reimagining of the mm. event and that sort of thing and also for me as well you know the whole rehabilitation at the end of the day whatever side of the political spectrum you mm. come from everyone wants to reduce crime so by reducing opportunities that's a really good thing for the offender as well um, because some offenders will just stop if they keep coming you know if they keep coming across buildings that aren't able to get in they'll mm. give up eventually yeah because now are even more cautious about making sure if they hear something mm. They scarper really quickly. It seems that thanks to Claire, we can start to understand the patterns in the mindset of a burglar. But what other ways are there for us to use this knowledge to prevent crime in day-to-day -day life? Both outside and inside the home, we leave so many opportunities. Now, I'm not saying it's the householder's fault, because it's the no. way we live our lives, but I think there's a huge gap and that we could we could get people to appraise their environments a little bit better yeah. without making life inconvenient. Is it that bit like uh, when it's a beautiful sunny day and you're sat right at the end of your back garden and you've got the windows at the front of the house? That yeah, you yeah, and exactly. And, you know, you could easily get someone nipping in and grabbing yeah. at the front door. There's often keys, handbags, yeah. iPads, wallets, everything there, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's just being a little bit more savvy, but we, we have to be careful as well not to increase fear of crime either, no. so we're monitoring mm. that as well. And on top of helping the public prevent burglary with little changes like that, Claire also looks at helping criminals rehabilitate by turning their automatic processes into skills that are useful outside of crime. It's only about the worst 10% of offenders get any rehabilitation at all, really? right? So your typical acquisitive offender, your burglars, your thieves, your car thieves yeah. and all those, that's about 60 to 80% of the prison population. Yeah. They're going in and out. They might get, they're getting on average, say, 14-month sentence of which they'll serve seven, which is the yeah. statutory. You did do seven, half of it inside mm -hmm. and half of it on licence. They'll be lucky if they get to see a medical officer as they go through the door. Mm. They never see a psychologist. Mm. They might have a probation officer, but it's absolutely shocking how little support yeah. they get. So they just continue offending. But it's more a more generic thing, really, that you because you learned that repeatedly, you were able to do that very well. Yeah. So let's think about what you're good at and what you want to do and work on that and build on mm. it you know and it's sort of using the experience of having been able to do something quite well and turning it mm. around but sometimes you would be able to translate actual skills yeah. as well thanks for listening to this episode of life solved from the university of portsmouth you can find out more about the work of claire and her team as well as our other projects by going online to port.ac.uk forward slash research if you want to share your thoughts on this program, you can shout about this podcast using the hashtag LifeSolved. Next time on LifeSolved, we meet the Portsmouth scientist who's protecting people and livelihoods from the devastating impacts of hurricanes and volcanic eruptions. 
Dominica was heartbreaking, just seeing the amount of destruction. I had been in there in July, mm -hmm. and, uh, and the hurricane occurred in September, so three months before. I met a lady, and we exchanged WhatsApps, and we were yeah. just chit-chatting, a, a really lovely lady. And suddenly she lost everything. She was in there with her son, single mom, living on a hut that had survived. And it was unlike that. It was most of the people. And you think, you know, there must be something that we can do. We can yeah. do better than, yeah. than what we have done. Make sure you subscribe in your podcast app to get every episode of Life Solved automatically. And please do tell us what you think with a review and rating if you get a moment.